Hello and welcome to Shifting the Perception of Type 1 Diabetes, brought to you by InFlight Type 1, the UK's first and only cycling, running and triathlon teams to be made up entirely of athletes living, racing and thriving with Type 1 Diabetes. Whoa, so many buttons. Good evening. Uh, is everyone doing? Hope everyone is well. Um, it's Thursday again. Comes around really fast. Comes around really fast. Um, so just before we kick things off, as you know, we've got uh, we've got another really interesting guest on the call tonight, and uh, I'm really looking forward to. Well, a I've never met a um, a Type One sailor, so I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested to. You know, I've got some questions that I want to definitely hear some answers, and I'm sure there's. You know, I'm I'm thinking of some some challenges definitely that that I I wouldn't know how to deal with. So I'm really interested to hear about that. Um, but just before just before we get into that, I'll I'll just we'll just I want to frame the call. And this I was listening to something earlier, and it's super important because when you frame something in a good light, even if it's not gonna be that good. It's gonna be good. No, sorry. Let me start again. <laughs> I'm explaining this really bad. Let me start again. Let me start again because this is uh, sounding terrible. If you constantly frame things in a good light, generally the outcome is gonna be a good one. So you'll notice with people that are positive, there will be positive when there's stuff stuff that most people would just be normal about. So when you constantly go, you know, even if you go, you know, you go into the, you go into the uh, park that you always go to with, with your kids, we're going to have the best time ever. You know, we were going to have a great time at the park. You're probably going to, you know, probably going to have the same time as you normally do. But if you frame it in a way that the expectation is going to be, it's going to be a good time. You're going to have a good time. Um, and uh, that's what we're doing it. You know, we keep on doing these calls and every week they're getting better and better. Because if you keep on doing something on repeat, you're not going to get worse. Are you? If you, do, I mean, if you do, then, um, well, you you might want to reevaluate. But generally, when you do things, you get bad. So, look, without um, without me waffling on too much, not helpful. Um, introduce Jack Trigger, who is a Type One sailor. So, welcome to the call, Jack. Thanks very much. Oh, yes, um, it's great to be here. You haven't come across uh type one sailor before probably because there's not very many of us we're um we're a rare breed but then uh, it, it, like it's like it's like the the whole type one and sport thing like the the you, you start to meet other people who have type one and have the same interest in you and then suddenly you find like more and more of them and then suddenly i'm in a group of like 200 people of people talking about going cycling and going running and going swimming and all that stuff who also have type one so it's um it's cool to be a part of it. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and exactly right. And, you know, for everyone on the call would have heard me say many, many times, but initially my sort of my vision for this team was for cyclists. But quite quickly, when I started to network within the di di like diabetic community, I, I, I noticed there was there was runners, there was triathletes, you know, there were people like yourself that maybe wanted to be part of a community and they just didn't have one. So I was like, why on earth would I, you know, go, no, let's, let's, why would you, we were just restricted to cyclists. So that's why we're, we're growing as we are, because, you know, there is a real, I feel there is a big gap for 
type ones uh, that, that they exercise not not only in this country but worldwide. I would say you know there's a big a big gap, and that's what we're that's what we're filling. So it's it it's really good when we get to come across people like yourself that you know maybe maybe not as common. So it's uh, I'm I'm looking forward to you know to hearing more about you really. So look, let's 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 um let's we'll try and go on a bit of a journey here. So hopefully hopefully um it makes sense. It might not, but. Uh, so let's start with the the one I always start when uh, I meet a new type. One. What was your what was your diagnosis like? Like when was it? How was it? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, right. Every I mean, every diagnosis story is unique, I guess. And um, I, I like that you started there because it it feels a bit obvious, but actually, there's always something to learn from. I like listening to hearing about when other people are diagnosed because there's always something. To learn. So I was 21. I had um, you know like context around my story in sport, I had dropped out of university to join a team. So I'd started my kind of journey as a professional athlete already without type one. Um, so this is 2015. I was racing around the, um, doing a race, kind of a multi-stage offshore race around the Gulf of Oman, uh, the Arabian Gulf. We were in Oman at the time. And um, yeah, like classic classic symptoms but kind of masked by what i was doing yeah so excessive thirst but we're racing in 40 degree temperature like 40 degree centigrade in the daytime so it was you know it's like oh that's kind of normal i'm i expect to be thirsty right uh fatigue but then the 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 physical demands of the racing are pretty serious so it was like i'm you know fatigue is normal um it was when i got home after the race so this was three weeks Three weeks of racing, I get home, and in that three weeks, I'd lost 20 kilos of like a quarter of my body weight, which I didn't have to lose in the first place. That was the first real um, indicator that something was wrong. Uh, yeah, Google. Google's a great thing. <laughs> Google told me that I was probably diabetic. Um, actually, at the time, I, I like, well, the, the first thing you do is you you your mind i guess stretches out to the things that you care about so for me my young career as a as a professional sailor was the thing that i really cared about so i googled diabetes and failing and um i learned pretty quickly that there were certain rules in place that meant that i wouldn't be able to compete in these races that i was competing in or that i dreamed of competing in with type one with diabetes in general type one type two um so so, so i delayed going to the doctor oh, really? oh, okay. <laughs> but because i didn't you know i didn't i googled the symptoms that i'd had right and especially with something like i think often diabetes diagnosis can it, it comes on in a somewhat linear fashion right it gets worse and worse and worse and you can maybe Maybe the nature of that means that you don't realize the severity of it. Certainly, for, that was my experience of it straight away, and and the 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 weight that I'd lost thing was like a that was a big this is serious thing. But I still that that was what led me to I guess the self diagnosis. But then I I still didn't go and see anyone about it. And then three weeks later, I was in DK and got taken into A and E, and uh, that was that. I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Wow. Okay, that's an interesting. So, just a couple of a couple of things I picked up from that is so the first thing I would say is 
if you wasn't aware of your symptoms, then definitely there's some more work to do, you know, within the general public to to make sure people are aware of the symptoms because, you know, if you if you're having to good, like, I think as a type one now, you they seem the symptoms seem obvious, but I think obviously you you wasn't aware of that at the time, and and I, I remember when I my my diagnosis was very similar to yours actually, not I wasn't sailing, but similar sort of. Um, as in, I had reasons of why I was drinking a lot and why I was hot, and and they made perfect sense to me, you know. And um, so that's that's the first thing I, I picked up on that. But then the second thing I, I would like to ask is: so you said that there's there's some races that you can't do, and that that's the case now, is it? So there's some races that you can't compete in because you're diabetic. Um, yeah, okay. I'm I'm going to touch on your first point first because you said it first, and I totally agree. And a lot of a lot of the stuff that I do. You know, a lot of the messages that I try and communicate, I think that it's important to realize that one of the big impacts that we can have is awareness. Like awareness is easy, right? Um, the nice thing is that the symptoms are so clear. And so often when you, I remember thinking of this at the time, so often when, you know, you Google something and everyone says not to, don't don't Google things, go and speak to an expert because Google's going to give you something that you don't know is real, that, you know. And with type 1 diabetes, like if your excessive thirst, fatigue, and weight loss is often uh, like they're clear symptoms of diabetes. Um, so that's something we certainly have on our side in the diabetes awareness, diagnosis awareness piece. So, yeah, I, I think it's so important to, to use that. For me, I didn't know anyone with it, I had no, no family history, which actually I find. More often than not, is the case. Yep. yep. Um, I just never come across it before, and like I, I, you know, maybe heard about it when I'd studied GCSE biology or something. Um, but it's like a lot of things. You you kind of you can't you can't like educate yourself with everything and every you can't think of every possible eventuality, and you often don't think these things are going to happen to you until they do. Um, so it's so you're reliant on what other people do to raise awareness um and especially when i think i think often people like a lot of the diagnosis stories that i hear are often when people have spoken to someone else who has then identified the symptoms for them yeah um, and if you're not if you're not seeing or speaking to a lot of people then you're relying on things anyway just some thoughts on awareness and access to that information and education uh, yeah so important um yeah your other question was that so there were rules in place when i was diagnosed and i couldn't do some of the rest that i wanted to do i've I had all those rules overturned excellent which is super cool and actually i didn't i didn't really see a lot of friction in having in doing that i think i feel very fortunate to live and to sail in a point in time where we have this like wicked intersection with technology um that's meant that I've been able to make like strong cases for uh, why I should be able to go and do the races I want to do and be safe doing them yeah. as a starting point. Like that's the first question, right? Can you be safe doing it? And then beyond that, for myself personally, like the performance question, can I can I perform at the same level as everyone else and at the level that I would be satisfied with performing at? Uh, and the answer is yes um, to both of those. So yeah, it's been a journey, but uh, it's been it's been cool yeah to have those things turned around and to um to go through that process 
No, I've also learned a lot doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. No, no, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, well done. I was going to say because initially when you said that, I thought, how on earth can they, how on earth can they like stop a type one doing, you know, something like that is just crazy because you could say that you could literally say about anything like don't cycle, don't run, you know, don't leave the house by yourself. You could so no, I mean, well done for getting that. That um, well done for getting that over the term because I mean, I, I would be this exact same, you know, and you'd want to, you know, you would you'd want to fight for something that you're passionate about, wouldn't you? So. No, no, well done. Um, cool. So you said, so when you started competing, you wasn't type one. So I can imagine that's like a difficult sort of transition, obviously, because I can't really remember life without type one, but I can imagine if you're sort of at a point and then you're like, no, you're type one now. Uh, I can imagine that was quite difficult. I, I don't remember really struggling with it. Uh, and again, I think I'm very, I feel very lucky that I didn't. I think a big part of that is because... I was already, I describe it as being down the rabbit hole of that. Like that was my career. That was what I, I think if I maybe had been a bit younger and someone had said to me, oh, you're type one now, that's going to be really hard. Then I you know, might have listened to them, uh, which is also re- like important for me to realize. Uh, and that that's the important of role models, right? To have people there that say that you can go and do these things, even if it's not specifically what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I, had, I feel like I had, my phone's just i'm in a hotel room <laughs> i was just propped up on anyway um <laughs> um but yeah I, I feel like i had that as an advantage that i i was diagnosed and i like not blindly but uh yeah i'm quite i guess i've described myself as quite stubborn i think a lot of you will probably feel the same you know a lot of you are into endurance sports i think there's a certain way that you are tend to be if you're into that kind of thing in a certain way that you have to be some mindset thing as well you you know i believe in my own abilities yeah um so when i was diagnosed i yeah there was no doubt in my mind it was going to stop me but that 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 doesn't mean that i didn't underestimate the challenges does that make sense no no yeah it makes it makes complete sense yeah so i had i had to go through this process of okay well this is the challenge that i have um, I, I never, I never felt particularly negatively about it. I just kind of thought it like step by step, right? Uh, like, how am I going to tackle this? I'm going to, I still want to do all these things. Um, so what do I need to do? And it's like, again, you know, you often get the question about the big challenges or how do you, how could you possibly imagine doing that when it's so challenging already with type one? Well, like what, like it's already challenging so why does it matter it's a bit more challenging you wouldn't go and climb everest tomorrow if you've never done any mountaineering before oh some people try but (laughs) bad bad example um you know you take it step by step you learn like you learn as you go you do the little things first and you start to build a bit of confidence so i had to do that um but i yeah i did that with the faith that if i just kept on going i would figure out how to do it yeah i mean that's that I, I, I couldn't agree more there. Um, and I think you're right. And, you know, as I think as tight ones, you've definitely got that sort of like, I always like to say like gritty sort of, we're all very resilient character. You, you just have to be, don't you? Whether you, whether you was resilient before or not, you certainly become resilient, don't you? Because it's one of them things that you either have to get on with it and get a grip of it, or, you know, it's going to, it's basically going to consume your life. So you have to, you know, we are very, um, you know, gritty, gritty people, and I think that's why we 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 are good at like endurance sports and stuff like that because you've got you know every day is a bit 
a bit more challenging than a normal person, isn't it? You know, sometimes breakfast, even sometimes breakfast can be challenging, can't it? You know, so like every day, every day, <laughs> everyday life can be a challenge, can't it? So, um, yeah. So what did your, what does your, uh, like diabetes regime look like on that? You know, what are you doing? Like pens, I assume? No. So I, I use a pump. Your pump. Um, yeah, I use a pump and I use, uh, uh, well, I use Freestyle Libra. So I don't use, um, I'm not hybrid closed loop or anything. Uh, yeah, that I guess the, you know, when I, when I went through this process of like, how can I go and do this thing that I want to do with type one, I had to learn a few lessons. The first lesson was I went straight onto MDI. Yeah. And I realized very quickly when I started sailing again, that in the middle of the English channel and you're getting bounced off big waves, injecting yourself is not impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the solution to that was a pump and like at the time I was very lucky that I had an understanding consultant, uh, who put me up for funding for a pump and I got on a pump. I wouldn't have been able to self-fund the pump at the time. So, um, things like that fell into place, but that, that certainly uh, like opened up the next, um, like it solved that challenge yeah. and in a lot of ways, it's much better suited to what I do because it's that bit more flexible and, and I I'm always like I'm always of the understanding that like different applications different tools for different things uh MDI is great for some people like rugby I've met a few rugby players with type one uh obviously they can't wear a pump on the pitch no but, is that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. so that's that's wicked for them that's cool that they have that and for me uh yeah I can't inject in a C state it's really hard so the pump's great Pump's also great because the extra flexibility it gives me over basal, um, which my life has a like serious lack of routine. The nature of the sport that I do, you know, like endurance sport, like a lot of endurance sport, but I could be racing for, I could do a three-week race where um, like I have no reliable sleep pattern. So I'm sleeping for 20 to 40 minutes every two to four hours when it's good but i might go for 36 hours with no sleep at all if the weather's particularly changeable or i decide that that's a moment strategically to push extra hard um nutrition is difficult you're eating uh generally our staple is freeze dehydrated food freeze dried food um we have a, a desalinator on the boat that desalinates seawater so that we don't carry the weight of the water so the food's much lighter which means we go faster um but then we're burning like 6,000 calories a day because it's pretty physical. And, and that exercise, the the output demands, output demands are so changeable. It can go from anything from like low intensity, longer duration, uh, just living on the boat to like sudden bursts of quite unpredictable, high intensity activity uh, and moving sails around, changing sails. Sails weigh like up to 100 kilos each. Um so routine is really hard. Yeah. So having the flex, so the, the pump's really, basically the short of it is the pump's really good for flexibility yeah, yeah. of um, basal route when I have no routine. Yeah, no, it's funny because I always say uh, diabetes loves routine. <laughs> yeah. That that just sounds like an absolute nightmare, to be honest. Um, so how did, what does a set change look like at sea then? Commercially, that's pretty difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, it's actually okay. It's actually okay. Yeah, like the fact that you only have to do it what every 
well, depending for me, it's every three days. Um, pick your moments. Yeah, yeah. So, no, when is uh, it? Again, yeah, when, exactly. And, and if it is, then... Um, but it, it kind of, that's kind of a good example of where, like, even small things, like small improvements. And so a lot of, I'm going to take a little tangent here, like a lot of the chat and diabetes technology now, you all know, I'm sure, is um, kind of moving away from, like, manage, good management's important, clearly, but we have systems now that enable us to, with the right tools, have very good control. So a lot of the conversation now moves away from good control, but to like, what is the cost of that control to the patient? Yeah. Um, so it's about, they call it quality of life, right? So a great example for me is I use a Medtronic pump. I was using uh, the old infusion set and I basically had to use like two hands to do the infusion set to do a set change. With the new infusion set, I can use one hand and it just sticks to me and then I press the button and then it's done basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and that might seem like a really small thing, but for one, for me on the boat, that makes such a difference because it, it just means like the, the task is so much easier. It means I don't worry about it. I don't, it's a much smaller thing in my head, um, more than anything. And, and then I noticed that in real life as well. Like, even though it was only every three days, the old infusion set, it would still be quite a big thing. I'd be like, oh, I've got to change my infusion set. Whereas now I'm like, oh, I'm just, it'll take me two minutes. Just, you know. And, but that's like a like a relatively small thing, a relatively small advancement in the tech, which would be easy to just glance over. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You, you, you're you spot on there, you know. And uh, even in the short like lifespan that I've had living with Taiwan, I mean, the technology is, you know, vastly improving so you know 10 15 years from from that it's going to be it's going to be even better which you'd like i think you hit the nail on the head there is is really um quality of life isn't it you know being able to especially like we've got a few i'm, I'm a closed looper uh wendy's a closed looper uh, andrew so we've got a few closed loopers here and what i found with closed looping was it just takes that element of you can uh relax a little bit you know for, yeah. for example overnight Honestly, I, I can't remember the last time I've had a hypo overnight, and that's you know, that's just technology driven, you know. So it is, it is really good, and um, you know, hopefully it will be in a spot. I mean, God knows what we'll be like in fifteen years, but you know, we're we, we're at a great spot in terms of technology now. So it's things are again, well, like I said at the start, things can only get better. Um, so yeah, no, so it's super exciting times for us as tight ones. Um, so. What's your? So you said you're in a hotel. Whereabouts in the world are you at the minute? Are you racing? Are you racing? <laughs> I'm not. I'm actually in. Um, I'm in a hotel just outside Leeds. It's. Uh, I'm. I'm doing a thing for doing a thing with Diabetes UK in Manchester on Saturday. Oh, nice. um, so in a roundabout way, I'm in Leeds tonight, and then heading over there tomorrow for Saturday. So, yeah, I'm. I'm a, I'm a bit uncomfortable because I'm too far from the sea. Yeah, as I was say, yeah, you you you're too 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 inland. Um, Oh, right. Interesting. Okay. Right. So goals for yourself next five years, what have you got, any big goals? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, that, my, my big thing that if I, if I have one big goal, this is like my Everest is to do a race called the Vendee Globe, which is solo nonstop and unassisted around the world. Um, so I can, my whole career has kind of been about building up to doing that race. Uh, I've kind of now done everything 
everything that I can up to that point. So um, that that's next, basically. But the, there are lots of things that need to come together to make that happen. So building the whole project, fundraising, getting the right partners on board, et cetera, et cetera. Um, build it. We have to build a new boat. Have to develop the boat. Try and make sure it's reliable and fast. Um, but yeah, that's that. Like realistically, that's that's my big goal, and that's I call it the next five years because that's the next thing. But it's kind of a lifetime goal as well. I want to the, the you know I want to go and do it. I want to be the first Type One to race solo, unassisted, non-stop around the world. Having been the first Type One to race solo across the Atlantic, that's the next step, and to do what we can with that, and then to go from there to to you know be competitive and to try and win it. Um, that sounds that sounds amazing. That really does, yeah. Well, that sounds wicked. Well, I hope, I'm sure you'll get there. You uh, you're obviously driven and. Um... I'm sure you'll get there, and it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be amazing to in five years' time when you're super famous. We can. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know about that. <laughs> on our on our uh, podcast, we did. Um, <laughs> our claims fame. Um, so, just a question. This is more just out of curiosity for me. How does so with your professional sailor? Who 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 pays your wage? Is it sponsors or? Yeah, it's a mixture. Um, it's quite. Complex, like sports, quite con- complex landscape to understand outside of it. Uh, so, so from the top, you have like yeah, typical sponsor-driven teams, um, right down to uh, like towards the like pro-am level. You have um, private owners who will own race boats who might get a pro on board. Think of them like a coach, right? Yeah, yeah. But then, as as you step into the middle, you might have a private owner who. Um, wants to do really well in racing part of professional race to have a fully pro team with him or her um with them uh so yeah i i kind of like kind of do a bit of everything um i've raced with fully pro sports funded teams for quite a lot of my career uh, but also raced with some privately funded teams but then the obviously the big thing that i do is the solo racing and running my own team so then i have to Find my own sponsors. Right. Okay. Uh, fight, yeah, you know, build build the project, right? And then um and then we meet a certain budget and that will pay everyone on the team. Plus, you know, cover the costs of the development of the boat and all that stuff. Oh, okay. No worries. And where whereabouts are you based, like when you're when you're on land? Whereabouts in the UK are you based? So I live in Surrey. Oh, um, far from it then. Yeah, no. So actually great cycling. Yeah, bit hilly. He'd been too hilly for me now, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the hills, but yeah, there are some hills around there. Um, but was well, cycling such a such a great part of my training as well. Um, it's just su- like such a good. Um, what's the word? It's I I love it because uh it's such great base, like base fitness, right? Yeah, it just yeah. covers covers everything, endurance. Um, but also, you can go out and do it and be outside. And me, obviously, I spend a lot of time on the water, so I like being outside and yeah. um, put me in a gym and I struggle a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, look, that was that that was good. I, I enjoyed that, Jack. So what we'll do, what we'll do, we'll open up to to the people who've got on the line. I know there's a couple in the chat, so we'll uh, if anyone wants to unmute themselves. 
please do and uh you can ask Jack whatever you want. Shine bunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple if that's all right. Yeah, go mate, go for it. Um so first one, just because I'm on a Medtronic pump as well. Um have you ever used the seven day the extended wear sets and infusion sets they do now? Yeah, I, I don't have them I bet I don't get them on my prescription I don't get them as part of my funding but I did try so I did I had a relationship with a company called Comatech who make the infusion sets for uh, Medtronic and um, I had like like a fringe level involvement when they were developing those sets uh, and I just think they're super cool like if you can if you can double your wear time then like you're you're changing your infusion set half the time right and that as a pump user, that's one of the big things that we have to do. Um, like one of the big physical things. So, um, and, and when you like, when you get an insight into actually what the challenges are around an extended wear infusion set, like things that you, you just like, oh, certainly I would never have even thought about before how like like stability of the insulin within the reservoir because the reservoir is plastic. That's why the insulin comes in a glass vial, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, all of the challenges right there. It's really cool. It's really cool. So, so are you are you using the extended wear ones at the moment? Uh, I do where I can get hold of them. Yeah. I don't, but yeah. Whenever Medtronic release something new like this, whether it's one of the new sensors or something like that, they they run out of stock very very quickly. Yeah. But, um. Yeah. They completely agree that the again it seems like such a minor thing that the the amount of research and development that's gone into that then. I certainly know when, when I have been used them, it, it's just one more little thing that makes life so much easier as a type one. Just one yeah. less thing to worry about. Yeah. So, so what I like, what I like to do is, I, like, as a obviously as a solo sailor, when I'm sail, sailing longer distance, I kind of think of it as the perfect analog for living with type one, which which is obviously coincidental because I was sailing before I was diagnosed, but. And I really like talking about it. So the when I'm sailing the boat on my own, it's full on. You've got so much to do. These boats are really designed to be sailed by like 10 people. And you're doing it for days, weeks on end. Um, and you're trying to manage a system that's doing like 50 mile an hour top speeds in the middle of the night. You're pulling like two and a half G deceleration off every wave. Plus you haven't slept in three days. Plus you feel seasick, you know. Plus you've got this list of stuff to do, which is like try and keep the boat going fast on a straight line, try and figure out what's the best way to go around the next weather system, try and make sure that the boat's still in one piece, trying to make sure that you're still in one piece, trying to fix anything that's broken because the boat's a prototype, so they're always breaking. Um, so you've constantly got way more stuff to do than you could possibly do. So the the skill really is um, it's a management exercise, it's prioritization prioritization exercise. You constantly prioritizing what's the most important task, and that might be um, change sail. It might be sleep for twenty minutes so you make a better decision because you're treading that line of good decision making versus going slowly because you're asleep. Um, like what a what a great analog for type one diabetes. So like anything that you can do in that process that makes it easier for you is a win because it means that you can do something else. 
anything that you can do that takes like some kind of cognitive load off you is a total win and it's a performance win because it means that you can go faster, make better decisions, like tick off more of your list. Um, that's what that's what we do in real life, right? We're trying to tick off the things on the top priority list. Like if you're having a hypo, the top priority is treat the hypo. But then when you're back in the middle, you know, the priority might be like, enjoy your life <laughs> or it might be exercise or it might be work. Like, so the, the more we can take like load away from diabetes, like, you know, half the number of infusion set changes that we have to not only do, but worry about doing, then, um, like the more we gain in that's the quality of life thing. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. Cause I was just always think it's the perfect, that the perfect analog of, um, yeah, yeah living with it. Absolutely incredible, incredible way of saying it, really. I mean, yeah, that's really, really hit the nail on the head, to be honest. It sounds, well, that's, and that, and that's, it sounds crazy, if I'm honest. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it sounds a bit crazy. It mate, we're, do, we're doing a coast to coast ride next year. And honestly, listening to that, all you guys should not be worried because there's nothing a lot going on. All you got to do is ride your bike from one side of the country to the other. It's easy. <laughs> nothing else to, nothing else to do is there we'll be bored <laughs> that's cool that's a good challenge <laughs> that's cool jag hey um so i missed the first 10 minutes i, I just come back from my run all oh, this evening but um have you had any like bad high pace and and like whilst you were going at 50 miles now and how did you how did you treat those like how how was it possible to to calm yourself down whilst you're going at 50 miles an hour t- top speed <laughs> uh yeah that i mean that's the challenge right though so i i'm i haven't had any serious hypos in that environment and this is kind of caveated with like i'm speaking to a bunch of people that know how this works so like the caveat is that <laughs> some, sometimes you do you do everything right and it still happens right but but you know prep like preparation is important so um how I prepare myself is important. Like the technology that I have that gives me those safety margins. So I don't get into those situations. I still have hypos while I'm racing, but, um, effectively what it comes down to is, you know, I was talking about this management prioritization exercise, and this is the answer to the question that I give when people ask me, you know, you've got so much to do anyway. How do you manage type one on top of that? Well, it, it's not a separate thing. It's a part of the same challenges. It's, mm. it's the holistic approach. It's, you know, throw that into the mix. What am I prioritizing? What's in my, my task list? Is it change sale? Is it sleep for 20 minutes? Or is it treat this hypo? Or is it treat this potential hypo? Or, or is it, uh, you know, like keep track of what my glucose levels are doing so that I can then predict the potential hypo. Um, so as long as I'm doing all of that, then, and, and as long as I'm correctly prioritizing what tasks I'm doing, then I shouldn't get myself into those situations. And if I do have a hypo, it's not so bad because, you know, I've, I've dropped everything else and I'm that's top of the list, but that's where you have to be really strict. And it's so easy to, and in a way, I think it's kind of easier on the boat. It's harder because there's so much going on and you're in that extreme environment, but you have, um, focus you have a goal that you're trying to achieve. So even if I'm racing for like three weeks at a time, I am totally focused on trying my best to win. Right. And so that gives you 
um, motivation. It gives you drive. It gives you focus to do all that stuff. In real life, it's often not that simple because you're just trying to live your life. And so I have the same thing where I'm, you know, come back to real life and I'm like, oh, I missed that. I shouldn't have missed that. But you can kind of forgive yourself for, um, you know, not being on it the whole time. Uh, I guess does does that sort of answer your question? Yeah, I think I think it's, you've hit the nail. On the, I think like to actually refocus. Like I think we're all amazing how what we do. <clears throat> after having the hyper, we completely refocus on what we were doing before, like 10 minutes before. And it's, it's quite amazing how we do it. Um, I think you're right. I mean, that's, that's the only way to do it, isn't it? You, you, you got that goal and whatever, whenever you have that hyper, because we're all going to have hypers that are like, like, you know, it's just guaranteed, isn't it? But, um, yeah. how we, how we sort of come back from those hypers and we just go straight back into it, don't we? It's just, it's amazing really how we do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We talked like right at the beginning of this, session about you talk about um uh kind of like we talk about framing kind of like mindset perspective all that stuff obviously so important so important in sailing so important and this is where the the analogy works really nicely again sailing especially ocean racing is a thing where stuff goes wrong all the time mm-hmm. you're dealing with so many uncontrollables because you're dealing yeah. with the you're dealing with the weather you're dealing with stuff that you just can't predict that's out of your control so you do get very good at you know the, the cliche of control controller controllables right but it's a real thing and you do get very good at it and that and that's like that for me is the answer with diabetes as well it's you know like is it in your control is it out of your control if it's out of your control right you know <laughs> stop worrying about it not always that simple, <laughs> granted. But you, you move on, and you you know you get you get back to the next task. No thanks, yeah, it's good. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, I've got it. Sorry, George. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, I I did have a question, and then I heard about obviously the your hectic chaos that you can sometimes find yourself in, and sort of thought of sort of another question really, sort of building on what sort of what um what Richard was just asking then about sort of like your hypos, you know, just out of interest when you're in that sort of you know chaos, all those things going on, you know, what what how 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 how, how are your blood sugars in those sort of times, and do you find it sort of more difficult, for example, when you are really sort of sleep deprived, and if you're sleep patterns very erratic does that sort of really do you find that really impacts your sugars does that really sort of wildly change things as well um just yeah just sort of again just out of curiosity really how how do you find your your control is sort of in those sort of times that was sort of my question i came up but, but my original question as well was it was just really amazing to sort of hear what you said earlier on about um obviously the the boundaries that you obviously you've obviously pushed with your uh tight one and sailing and uh and you mentioned that, or that obviously you've, you've overturned a lot of those rules of racing and initially i was just wondering you know, what what did that look like in terms of you know how, what um what did you what, what did you actually do to to help sort of overturn that um but yeah yeah the call that the, the uh, so i'll I start with the the latter question just because that's precious <laughs> um I, again kind of right place right time but I think that uh, often these things look like that. But once you, you know, once you're in that situation, things happen that can appear to be right place, right time. So after I was diagnosed, I found these. Well, I had knew about these rules, which I found when I googled sailing, ocean racing with diabetes, 
Uh, first thing I did once I kind of got my head around diagnosis was, which didn't take long, was, well, this was a part of that, I guess, was um, I went and spoke to my uh, team racing doctor. And it turned out that the specific rule that I found online had been written by him in, in advice to a race organizer. <laughs> so that was fortuitous, the fact that I sat down with him and he said, well, actually, I wrote that rule. And I wrote that rule on a case-by-case basis. Um, and for you, if you have good management with the technology that is now becoming available, I would see no problems in overturning that rule. So that, that was the start. So that was right place, right time. Um, technology, important. And it's one of those things where, like, some sometimes you kind of have to look at it and say, well, and I, I want to be able to do everything I want to do and I want everyone else to be able to do everything that they want to do. But then I also look at it from a safety perspective and I say, if I didn't have, if I didn't have CGM, I could not sail solo across the Atlantic and be safe. I think that would be very hard to do for me personally. Right. Um, so I think that's an important distinction to make. Uh, and, the, and that's again, something that's like just outside of your control. So I'm lucky to live in a world where we have the technology that means that I can do it. Um, so something else happened then, uh, like a year after I was diagnosed, I went to do my first transatlantic crossing on a boat, um, like top 10 fastest race boats in the world. Um, crack team, not a race, but just like a training run across the Atlantic. And one of the guys on the boat said, um, to the skipper, I, um, if you take him, he was a trained doctor. He said, if you take him, I'm not going to go with you. So I was like, huh, okay. Well, this is the first, like the first real challenge of other people's perceptions. Like we've got the rules overturned. That's cool. But now we've got to deal with other people's perceptions. Um, so what I did then was again, I was kind of felt fortunate that I had the ear of the guy who was in charge. I had the ear of the skipper, good friends. And so he said, well, this is a situation where like, I don't know what to do. And I said, um, and I make sure you've got all the information first. And I basically, I wrote out a risk sheet of uh, what are the potential risks of me as a type one being on the boat for this trip. And um, what would I have in play? What systems would I have in place to mitigate those risks? So things like, obviously, hypo. Um, CGM was a part of that. Seasickness. Seasickness could be a pretty nasty thing. Um, so, you know, things and things like glucagon pens and like a whole load of stuff. I basically covered everything and, and he then made the decision to take me, uh, and the other guy had to deal with that. And that was kind of it. That was kind of the last time I really, that, kind of the only time I felt like I dealt with other people's perceptions of it in a really negative way. Um, but that was how I dealt with it. It was quite method methodical was what like what can I do to make sure they've got all the information and then it's out of my hands. Um and fortunately it I, I could do the trip and that was great. And then you set a precedent and then it gets easier. Um what, remind me what your other question was. Uh just about your like what did your sort of your sugar control actually look like when oh, you're yeah. in that sort of chaos and sleep deprivation if that impacts. Yeah, like a lack of routine is the devil that we think it is. <laughs> uh, it's really hard, but I guess the way of 
um, the way of managing that for me is, and and the, I think the biggest thing that's difficult is like environmental factors are such huge things. So you notice when you're sailing across an ocean, as the temperature changes each day, your insulin requirements change each day because your insulin sensitivity is changing. And that can happen so fast. And you're like, what's going on? And you've got to try and keep track of that. Um, obviously, we know the impact of things like stress, stress hormones, cortisol, like all that stuff, and then lack of routine. The things that change are the things that you might rely on, which are um, insulin sensitivity and carb ratio. Um, so if you're reliant on those for calculating your doses, then it's really hard. So I guess my my management strategy is, and I've spoken about this a few times, and again, like, I'll caveat this with that. I would never ever, everyone, we all know everyone's diabetes is different. I'd never tell someone how I think they should, like I never do that, but this is the experience that worked for me. And if someone else can take away from that, then that's cool. So the way I manage my diabetes is um, quite reactive. So I'll, I'll, um, I'll dose, try and get in the right ballpark and then I'll correct. And that works for me because if I'm too, if I try and be too specific about it, I'll always get it wrong because I can't account for all those factors because they're always changing. Like my carb ratio, my insulin sensitivity, they're just always changing. So I can't, I can't like type into my nice electronic pump. This is my carb ratio and I've had this many. I can carb count, but it's not that useful if my carb ratio has changed from the last, you know, four hours ago. So um, I'm not too stressed about it. I'll get it in the right ballpark. I'll keep an eye on it and then I'll correct. It works really well for me. I have I have good control. I need to have good control to continue to be allowed to do the races that I want to do. It is quite like a, um, a high load approach. Like it takes a lot of active input from me, uh, which for some people is a negative. But then equally, like we're moving in a direction where I don't think you really could have managed like that. You could have really used a strategy like that before the technology that we have now, because I'm able to make those corrections safely because I have continuous glucose data. Before that, it wouldn't have worked. Um, and now we're moving into a world where we're looking at like you guys, like you know, closed loop and hybrid closed loop. And so, um, yes, the specific to me works for me, but um, a roundabout way of answering your question. What is what is just one more what one more question for me? What is what would a hypo treatment look like? Because you said a lot of the food's dried. What you obviously you've not got jelly babies there. <laughs> I do actually. That's exactly what I think. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like world the world famous like hypo treatments, isn't they? But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's got the jelly. Yeah. I um obviously I travel a lot, so um again I'm not that fussy. Like anything I can get my hands on, I'll always make sure I've got some kind of gummy sweet. Something like that. I like that because it's fast acting, but it's kind of predictable. Um, per, like personally, I struggle with liquids a bit because it's so fast. Um, yeah, and then on the on the boat is I I have to make sure I've got more than enough. So if I'm racing with the team, I have to make sure I've got my own supply of jelly babies or Haribo workers, which sometimes sometimes we get out of get out a packet of Haribo in the middle of the night when everyone's cold and willing to freeze dried food. Well, you, can become, you can become the enemy. Sometimes I take an extra packet just to hand out. 
That's brilliant. I honestly wasn't expecting you to say jelly babies. I thought he was going to say, I don't know, like dried apricot or something. I don't know. That's some like weird. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's, 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 uh, that's good. Is there any other questions, guys? No, good. That was, I really enjoyed that tonight, Joe. That was really good. That was, um, I certainly learned a lot there. And, well, look, all I can say is a type of health chip because, um, it sounds, honestly, it sounds like an absolute disaster. <laughs> but you, you're obviously doing you're obviously doing a fantastic job, and I like the that story you said there at the end. And this like our it's our strapline, but shifting the perception of type one diabetes, and and you're clearly doing that. And honestly, tonight you've shifted my perception of of uh, just what was possible, really, because I didn't I knew there was going to be challenges, but probably didn't consider uh, you know the amount of challenges. And actually, it's actually makes me feel quite good about just doing my cycling now. So thank you very much for sharing. Uh, <laughs> but no, 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 I uh, appreciate you coming on. Um, we hope that you'll get to your, uh, your, uh, I forgot what you said now, but the epic race around the world, I'm sure you'll get there. So we'll be watching your journey very closely. Um, so yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for coming, Jack. It was, it was a, it was a good call. Appreciate it. Oh yeah. Well, look, thanks so much for having me. It's been, um, it's been a pleasure, but also just to, you know, like to join your community last week and to to be on this call, but to see it, we talk about shifting the perception. But that's what you guys are doing. Um, you know, like I'll go and do my own thing. We all go and do our own things. But when we can all come together and you know, then it starts to carry some momentum, right? So that's super cool. So I I look forward to staying a part of this group and um, yeah, maybe getting out on the bikes with some of you at some point. That would be really cool. Uh, but yeah, like it's great to just um, chat about Type One and with you know like-minded people. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Are you no ready for the South Coast Meetup? If you're sorry, we're having a South Coast Meetup. Have you seen that? Yeah, I I would love to. I think I think you said it was the night twenty ninth. I got the second number. I think 29th. I'm away on the twenty ninth. Uh, but next time I would love to because cool. I'm often down. I mean, I'm often down on the South Coast uh, racing. So. I'm not far away at all. I would love to. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, you're you're very welcome, and obviously we 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 would love you to stay part of uh part of what we have here, and uh, yeah. So we'll yeah, it'd be good to be good to be good to have you with us. So look, that was a good one, guys. We'll be back um same time, uh same place next week. So hope everyone has a good weekend. Cheers. Take care. Now. You've been listening to Shifting the Perception of Type 1 Diabetes, the podcast brought to you by InFlight Type 1, the UK's first and only cycling, running and triathlon teams to be made up entirely of athletes living, racing and thriving with Type 1 Diabetes. Bringing you insights from a collection of over 100 athletes sharing our experiences of living, racing and training with Type 1 Diabetes, alongside experts in nutrition, biochemistry, sports medicine, diabetes and endocrinology. Please go ahead and hit those like, follow and subscribe buttons or that little bell icon to be notified when we upload our next episode. And don't forget to follow us on our socials with the handle InFlightType1. Until next time.